Idle reader, without my swearing to it, you can believe that I would like this book to be, this book, The Child of My Understanding, to be the most beautiful, the most brilliant, the most discreet that anyone could imagine. But I have not been able to contravene the natural order. In it, like begets like. And so what could my barren and poorly cultivated wits beget but the history of a child who is dry, withered, capricious, and filled with inconstant thoughts never imagined by anyone else? Which is just what one would expect of a person begotten in a prison where every discomfort has its place and every mournful sound makes its home. Hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a podcast about meaning from SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Friday, June 14th, 2019, and if our last Sally was 1605, this part occurs in 16... 1615. Yes, friends, tonight we are again convening the Spring Book Club to have another go at the ingenious gentleman Don Quixote de la Mancha. Much has been written on this work's significance, but tonight we won't even give that any uh, any word. We'll just dive right into it. How is everyone doing tonight? Great. Uh, <laughs> yes, very well. <laughs> Good. All right, so let's start with some synchronicity. Uh, someone remind me what, you know, before Don Quixote went off to die, what were they planning on doing? Uh, you know, Don Quixote and his, all his friends. They were about to become shepherds. What have you done, <laughs> Lacey, since we last spoke? <laughs> I've become a goat herder <laughs> and a cheesemaker. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. I moved to a small town in eastern Idaho to make cheese and hang out with some goats. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. It's, it's pretty awesome. I love it. I'm in a little camper trailer and the goats are my neighbors. They're about 10 paces away. Is this a long-term thing, or are you only going to yeah. do it for a year like Don Quixote? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a long-term thing. I think, well, I know I'm trying to find funding to purchase this business and farm and land. And that's, awesome. that's amazing. That's good. Yeah. It's and do you cool. think it's everything that all the people thought it would be, Lacey, in our, in our book? Yeah, and more. The pastoral life is... <laughs> it is beautiful. Now, but I see, my friends that have goats curse them and hate uh, goat-owning goats. They find it really hard because they just fuck everything up. Uh, but I, maybe you have a bit more harmonious uh, setup. Um, I haven't experience them fucking everything up <laughs> but <laughs> i do i've been doing uh wednesday night markets in jackson hole wyoming and oh awesome the last yeah and the last two times i've come back so i've gotten back to the farm at like 8 8 30 and they have sprung loose and 20 of them are 
randomly like in the other fields and I have to yeah. herd herd them back in and then mend fences and Yep. Yeah. Uh so yeah, that that the goats go wild sometimes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but for the most part they're really sweet. They they're yeah. like they're like they want to be snuggled like dogs some of them and um they get your they know your routine they know that i'm living in this random building next to their uh you know barn right now and so sometimes they'll just like stand so they can see in my window and just may at me which is pretty funny <laughs> well, so then are you doing audiobooks out there in the fields or are you just uh is it you're too in your in your goatly moment <laughs> I'm too in my goatly moment. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh that was great in your introduction, Doug, when you when you talked about a mournful noise and then right at that point <laughs> 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 uh, Really I just planned it for this book club. Have you made any cheese yet? I mean, have you got to taste it? And is it, uh, I mean, I'm just getting hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I've made, it sounds really I've tasty made, and really good. It's pretty delicious. The owners have created some really wonderful recipes and I've made, I've been, I've been coming out here for the last year and a half, uh, meeting the animals and learning to make cheese and learning how to milk and all that. And, uh, I've made four batches by myself in the last week, which is pretty cool. So wow. you were working with, weeks. you were working with Doug in a cheese department first. Is that is that how what the connection was? <laughs> yeah, I was running the cheese department at the store that Doug's at, and wow. um, and I found this company and and brought their cheeses in, and that's how I met them. And oh, wow. um, yeah, and, awesome. and so I was very familiar with their quality and how delicious they are, and so. Um, when I found out they were selling it, I uh, got a wild hair idea and then just kept following it. <laughs> from, <laughs> from Don Quixote. From Don Quixote. <laughs> Don Quixote is my spirit animal. <laughs> well, so the next synchronicity, and I, I thought about this, Zanor, but then I forgot it, is like uh, you and I watched Barry Lyndon because Dennis prompted us to after the i think it was the nabokov i don't even remember yeah it was the nabokov because yeah. dennis you said every film was in that in that yeah film. yeah for sure well the the most fascinating thing to me is cervantes i was reminded is basically this his whole story is like that barry linden story where right. he, he was in this duel he he had to flee because he because of this duel and then he wasn't a noble, or maybe he was, but he really kind of married into what money he had. He married a woman and who had a, a vineyard, and that was kind of what, uh, I mean, it sounded like his life was really rough the whole time, but it was really interesting mm. how it tracked with Barry Lyndon. <laughs> One of the goats is out in the road. That's, that's, on the that's, not, my, that's not my spot. Sorry, that's my Yeah. Yeah, his interesting. Yeah, his, I hadn't thought life, about that. His life was really adventurous, right? Yeah, but, but then it's funny because 
I was saying last time how I didn't, I mean, everyone wanted to believe that Don Quixote was good. And I'm like, I don't know that he's so good. But then uh, there was this video, the translator that a lot of us read, Edith Grossman, really thinks that Cervantes was a good person and, and that she would mm -hmm. really like to spend time with him because he was, he was able to... Uh, just create so much empathy for a lot of different people. Yeah. You get yeah. that impression reading the book though. It's just like the, the whole tone of it is so, uh, human, you know, humane, human, humorous also. It's just, it just, it, uh, it lightens the heart when you read it, you know, like, so you get, you get the sense that he was a, he's a pretty good guy. Um, yeah, I think it deals with like these very human themes, like, love and desire and you know greed and i mean it's it's really hitting at the these kind of basic things that all humans can identify with and then treating them with this kind of wisdom you know so i think in that way it's like he's a teacher sort of like a spiritual <laughs> teaching you know at parts of the book yeah 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 def definitely even explicitly like he has all these uh um, Don Quixote gives Sancho all this advice of how to be a governor, <laughs> which I, they actually work, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, and then later on, um, Sub Commander Marcos, we were talking about that last time, he uses that as uh, advice to uh, be a successful guerrilla. <laughs> but it's it's interesting because that's one reading, but then Nabokov read it quite differently, I think. I. I mean, from his lectures, he really felt like uh, everyone was reading Don Quixote wrong. Yeah, did you... I just finished reading that little essay that you, uh, that you posted on that, right? Uh -huh. somebody, somebody criticizing Nabokov's view. Yeah. Criticizing Cervantes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and saying, like, how, how ironic it is that Nabokov, who's talking about uh, basically a psychotic child abuser is saying that Don Quixote is brutal, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, whereas, whereas, uh, like the violence, I, whoever made that essay or wrote that essay had a good point. It's like the violence in, uh, Don Quixote is, is basically cartoonish. Nobody, like it's, it's, it is brutal. Like people, they, they get hurt a lot, but nobody dies. Um, they sort of get hurt and get right back up again and on the road again, you know. It doesn't really get tragic until the end when Don Quixote himself dies. You know? So I, I, I kind of agreed with what she was saying. That, uh, um, yeah, I don't, I, don't really find, uh, I don't really find Don Quixote really that violent or brutal at all. It's, it's just funny. <laughs> yeah, there's a scene where Sancho's got like, you know, I don't know how many broken ribs, and he gets—I um, <laughs> forgot the exact—and he just gets back up, and he gets—you know—he's walking and talking and spouting aphorisms. And I mean, <laughs> I was thinking as I heard it, you know, shit, man, this guy'd be in the hospital for months if this was <laughs> the modern world. And <laughs> so I think cartoonish is a good is a good um, adjective. The bio book that I read definitely looked at trying to figure out how Cervantes was able to do this. But then more importantly, which is interesting because Cervantes was also 
a playwright. What it was that he did, uh, like his book was called The Man Who Invented Fiction, and that was kind of uh, grandiose intentionally, but it's it's this idea of the idea of what fiction is. And so it's strange how uh, our society now uses fiction as a way to inhabit someone else's skin, to wear someone else's mm. shoes, you know? So like fiction is not true, but at the same time, it with it, we're able to empathize with other people. And to do that, you have to, you know, good fiction creates a space that you both know is is not real, but then also know, you know, you believe it with all, like what you're saying, it's cartoonish, but we still, we still believe in the character. He's such a, a you know, three-dimensional character. Mm -hmm. And then, and then all the sort of the, the meta levels in, in part two, right? That uh, make it even more confusing to figure, figure it out. Like, like the fact is that, um, the events of part two supposedly only happen a month after um, part one, the events in part one. But in the, in the meanwhile, all of part one has already come out and become world famous <laughs> yeah. as, a, as a novel. Yeah? In the, so in, the, in real life, there's 10 years in between. And then in the story, there's only a month in between. Um. <laughs> there was, so to have anything published, there was a censor that had to read things and i think that was uh one of the interesting things that cervantes wrote the censor into part two like giving the book to the censor somehow was part of you know it's like he put all of the world in the book as the book is happening right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well and then how it starts out too with um uh the bachelor coming up uh, what's his name samson or whatever coming up and and uh, pointing out to Don Quixote and and uh, Sancho about the errors of part one. Oh, I where, love uh, that, yeah. <laughs> where Sancho's, <laughs> Sancho's donkey, Dapple, disappears, and then a little while later, he's actually riding the, the donkey. You know, <laughs> like, what what happened there? Like, And, and, and Sancho can't answer in, in part two after, eventually, just he says it's a printer's error, you know, like a... <laughs> Um, well, there was the money that he found too. Like yeah, the money, a <laughs> hundred gold pieces that somehow he spent with uh, any record of it. Right, like continuity errors. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's great like that. So the, yeah, so all the way through, he's kind of poking. Cervantes is poking fun at himself in a way as well. Like Cervantes enters as a character into part two himself. Um, and again, he's just the, uh, he's the third in the line. Like it, it was, uh, Sid Hammett and then the unknown translator and then Cervantes, who you don't even know what he did. Like it would, like, what was his role? He didn't translate it. He didn't write it. He didn't translate it. He, what did he do? He just compiled it or, or edited it or, or what, what was actually his role in, in the second part? Hmm. I just wanted to mention uh, it being the first novel and how, like you're saying, Doug, we step into these characters. Um, it's kind of like a film in a way where we, we can really relate to characters and we sort of lose ourselves for an hour 
Um, but I, I just think that part of the, the um, hour or two, part of the appeal is that Don Quixote has this um, vision for his life, right? He's become something else. And so I think there's a promise in his character uh, and not only the actions he takes, but in the attitude he expresses and the optimism and the ambition, there's a promise for the reader, right, to become something else. Like he's he's describing for us what it's like to have hoped for change in the future, attitudinally. And so I think it's very relatable because most people's lives are, you know, struggling. <laughs> you know, that's like the first noble truth of Buddhism. And so I just think there's a really attractive quality to how this character is presented. And like all of the identity questions we've talked about and what's real and what's fake and just the stuff Zor just, Zanor just mentioned feeds into this because you kind of lose the sense of, of uh, the impossible. There's a breakdown, you know. And so I think he's really a character of, of hope in a lot of ways, just for the human condition, you know, uh, that we can reach something greater, something higher. Um, yeah. Yeah, that again, makes him he, relatable. I think that's what fiction could be about, you know. So. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, again, um, throughout both parts of the novel, in a, a few times he... He said, it, Don Quixote says that his objective is to restore the golden age, right? So that's a... Uh, well, that's interesting because, like, at the beginning of our last talk, you said one thing where you you were you were relating how uh, you heard one critic say that there was there was this this uh, multicultural moment in Spain that that uh, was over when he's writing this right. book and so he's longing for that you know the it, it was a more diverse more vibrant past but then i countered saying that uh i was talking about galatea and the pastoral and so mm -hmm. but i think it, it sounded like i was contradicting you but i don't think i was in that i think cervantes he was playing with these different forms because uh, another popular form was the picaresque, I think, which is kind of like yeah. the rogue's tale. Um, he's playing with these dis different forms, but he's not, he doesn't necessarily believe uh, in the truth of the form. So like the idea that, you know, this pastoral, <laughs> so that's just so funny. It's like, so uh, maybe Lacey's proven us wrong, but, you know, like it's the idea that there there wasn't, there wasn't a golden age. You can't go, you know, so yeah. he, he knew, even though there was, like, that's what's so ironic. There was this time when things, uh, I guess I should say that, that at the, at the, at the moment of, you know, Don Quixote part one, Spain was the empire, but it definitely was, there was like a disillusionment was so that their their economic strength was in the toilet they were just the empire was crumbling and uh you, like there wasn't tons of hope and so it's almost like his practice cervantes practice to stay sane was to create this world you know this was his his practice mm. Mm -hmm. yeah there's this um the general idea is, is that he's uh, Cervantes is kind of uh, making fun of knight errantry and, and these these books of chivalry that come out in the 
come out it's kind of as popular novels basically right um pulp fiction almost or something right but at the same time he it seems like he has a deep respect for that tradition so it's almost as if he's um he's he's not against knight errantry and that tradition so much as he's against the kind of decadence of it you know like the the kind of um pulp fiction version of it you know um sort of in the same way that uh like Joyce is not really against the occult so much as this kind of like uh sort of debased theosophical form of the occult that was coming out at his time you know Mm. When you see that with the characters in the novel, you see these other knight errants, and I think all of them are flawed, aren't they? I mean, one is trying to lie to get gain, and there's kind of these up-and-comers that are trying to take advantage of the Coyote myth uh, from the novel, the hugely popular novel of one month before, um, <laughs> you know, and use it to their gain and their advantage. So I think he's, he's explicitly, he's characterizing that uh, as well as Nor. In the, in the mm. book, you know, and, and Don yeah, Quixote sure. seems to be, the, yeah, the pure. He's holding the, the pure flame. You know? Right, right. And we were talking before last time about there is this kind of old tradition stemming back to the troubadours and, and probably way before that, of the, uh, like the tradition of courtly love. You know, the, uh, which was which was kind of a, a pure poetic tradition. Um, and you get the sense that, that Cervantes tapped into that at some point and really, that really did affect him. And then he's, he's more concerned that with the, yeah, with the advance of the modern world and the advance of the empire and uh, maybe even with the printing press, etc., you know, that, uh, that, that, whole, uh, that whole tradition has been watered down and just uh, the, the, sort of the power has been taken from it. I don't think Spain was a great place to live at that point in time because there was like this, I mean, like you said, they they expelled the Jews and the Muslims or they were called Moors. And, and yeah, they... I was just, uh, sorry, I was just reading this. I, I just wanted to check when, when that happened. Like they expelled the Jews in 1492, right? But they didn't, they didn't expel the Moors entirely until 1609. So that's right in between those two books, huh. which is interesting. What, but yeah, to go on. Blood and honor were the two main components of, of like the the social mores, I guess. So, you know, the it it reminded me of like Nazi stuff, where are you pure blood? You know, thinking in terms yeah. of your lineage, and so that, you know, you've got the Inquisition stuff happening, but then also honor is defined by the purity of your females and it's like oh my god that just sounds like the most horrible place you know to mm -hmm. be you know so they they the honor was not so much the the your actions but it had to do with the the purity of your 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 female yeah mm -hmm. and so he had unmarried sisters and that definitely contributed to you know some of these tales in in the fact that uh like the writer the so-called writer of the book is is moorish and he even he he praised uh, allah in part of like before 
a couple of the chapters, right? Like he, uh, <laughs> so it's it's you kind of see like Cervantes is kind of like a. Um, well, you I can think... tell that he's he's right on the edge of of getting the Inquisition knocking on his door. Right. You know? Yeah. But I think like uh, like I watched a video today and and they were saying that so like the people that try and read him one way fail to see that oftentimes it's it's you know both that and it's opposite simultaneously so you get to have yeah. it both ways always yeah yeah, yeah so it's, yeah so in the on the other hand um like we were talking about last time is uh yeah, he makes Quixote, the joke Quixote. that all the muslims are liars too right yeah, all the moors <laughs> are liars so that the the first part can't possibly be true <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's not true. Then who is this character, Don Quixote? Yeah. <laughs> but then you were also saying like, uh, so the scary side is okay. So if, if how did you phrase it? That's the Borges thing, where if if we believe in these things and they're not real, that m maybe we ourselves are not real, or we're in yeah. a story too. Yeah, we're in a work of fiction as well. That's where I think we get into like the Dickey and stuff. It's another access point for that because reality is malleable, I think, to just Cervantes. Uh, and and uh, just in the ways you've described, it's a, we talked about all the multiple coyotes and kind of fantastical visions, uh, you know, of how things change so quickly. But I think that this is another way that reality is malleable. And this is why it's Dick. There's a Dickian quality. I think, I mean, we've talked about how this is before its time, but I think we're really articulating another another uh, reason for that, certainly. You know, maybe that's the big breakthrough. I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about the literature of this time, but when you start coming out and, and um, you know, implying that things can be changed and life isn't what it seems and, you know, your ideas are not true, <laughs> about yourself or about the world. I think this is where we start getting into like the idea of it being banned, some of the stuff Zanor was alluding to maybe, mm -hmm. um, because there's hope there. I mean, you know, this is like, you give a dissatisfied population the idea that, you know, um, uh, things aren't true. You know, the norms of society maybe should be called into question and the circumstances of your life can be changed through belief. That can be dangerous. That can be dangerous, I think. It's almost like, uh, so before that, you had all this kind of uh, chivalric literature that was popular. And in that literature, anything goes, you know, like anything can transform into anything else, right? There is no fixed laws to anything. And um, and that's what Borges was, was talking about, too, with the uh, A Thousand and One Nights, is that... Uh, even in those tales, you have tales within tales within tales, and then and then they turn inside out, and it's <laughs> the tale, the final tale is in the is in the first tale, right? It's like uh, so even even in that whole tradition, which goes back hundreds of years, right? It's like um, that idea that the 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 world is malleable, you know, that that it can change, it can transform, but maybe. I was I was thinking that maybe that's one thing that Cervantes was sort of rebelling against is that this kind of uh, with with the sort of rise of science and and reason and and the sort of taboo against that kind of thinking you know that that 
it, whereas that that idea of metamorphosis or in transformation is replaced by like uh, laws that like natural laws that are eternal and consistent and universal, right? Um, but maybe he's rebelling against that, and he's trying to find a way to subvert those from the inside, you know. So he's not he's not doing that. He's not doing that by coming up with another fantasy, like sort of um, just continuing the old style of fantasy. But he's doing that by uh, subverting our very ideas of of what reality is from from even within the paradigm of reason, you know. It's strange. Especially now that we have so many fake videos where they, like, this is the big fear now where they can make videos that appear to be real and it's really difficult to figure out if it, and so we can subvert reality by creating false media. Deep fakes. Yeah. Well, just the, this thing that happened in the, uh, in the Gulf of Oman, you know? Like what the hell? Like everybody on every angle is saying that the other side is faking the story. <laughs> you know, like, like so. It's like it's it's um. You're just left in a position where you have to uh, just wait things out in a way. Like just sort of hang back and wait things out and just consider that none of it could be real. You know. Mm -hmm. I really see, so there's this tradition in 20th century literature with, uh, I don't know, people like Henry Miller, I don't know if you can even call it a tradition, maybe you can put Bukowski in that in that um, tradition, but of definitely Henry Miller, where there's kind of this wasteland, he talks about a wasteland of reality, and you know, that he had this theory that we're already dead, that kind of when you're an, a, a, alive on earth, it's, this is kind of like a purgatory or something. But there was this real turn towards uh, the creative act literature specifically as this saving grace. And so he kind of embraced, it's almost this high ideal that he embraced and then tried to live. And then he produced all these great uh, works of literature that were kind of thinly veiled narrate, narration. But in, in Quixote, you have, there's, there's a, a few moments where poetry is elevated to this kind of high art. Yeah. Um, not only uh, multiple times, like people are writing sonnets and they're amazing. You know, there's these like poets that these poet characters that are always really, really high quality. And then there's this scene where Coyote defends the young poet to everybody yeah. uh, by by he's yeah. just like, look, poetry is this most beautiful form of art. It's this highest you right. know, act, and we need to basically elevate that and embrace this kid and let's encourage his poetic vision. You know, and I think that's part of this too, that, that as a writer and as a poet, Quixote is kind of saying, hey, this is a way out, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The confusion, the different identities, let's just embrace this, this, this form as a, as a means to, to survive, you know, the mitigating factor, so. Yeah, he says, uh, I think he says at that part where he's, yeah, he's, he's defending the, uh, that one son, the, the Green Knight, or however he gets called, his son, who is a budding poet, and his father wants him to be, I forget, like some lawyer or something. <laughs> and then... Uh, Anchor. Anchor. <laughs> but uh, at that point, I think uh, Don Quixote is saying, a, a true poet has to be an alchemist, right? So that you're, uh, 
transforming language into into gold. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. So I totally agree with what you just said. Um, but then also he says um, later on he says, so the way of poetry is very narrow, but the way of night errantry is even narrower. <laughs> you know, so it's like the the idea of what is a night errant is like a an active poet is a poet who goes out on the road and lives his poetry. You know. Well, so that's funny because I was trying to think of knight errants, like what would be our analogy now. And I was thinking about maybe like road movies, you know, so mm. like or uh, there was something. Like Kerouac or something. Yeah, Kerouac, where he's just a. Arthur Rimbaud. Yeah. Burning guns in Africa. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead, Doug. Sorry. I just He's an example of a poet who entered the real world and sort of laid down the and because he thought it maybe wasn't a full application or something like this right, um, right. and ended up running guns um but you go ahead Doug. so i mean that's a great question i think because like what is our modern day knight errant i think there's these characters in cinema the kind of reluctant hero who ends up like maybe a bruce willis and die hard or these uh, you know i'm trying to think of another example of a good character. I just saw this trailer for a, um, um, oh, yeah. John Wick, maybe. I don't know. John Wick. I mean, something like this, would you say? Someone who's really violent, defending defending people. He's like, he's good at heart. Um, I don't know. Sorry, Doug. Go ahead. That's a great question. <laughs> My bad. No, you're fine. I was just trying to understand. So, because that was this big, like you were saying earlier, it's this tradition it's like a, a a literature it would be the same as uh i don't know like the pulps in the 50s and 60s where you're just reading ufo stories all the time right mm -hmm. and so there there's conventions and there's things and uh yeah i'm, I'm but you know part something else something else that i keep thinking about when we talk about this book is there's definitely there's this in and out element so that because and and I think uh, this comes from the theater where there is the the character that's portrayed, you know, the mask the character wears, but there's also as the audience, we know what's going on internally. And so that's one of the reasons why they think that you know this is the first novel where we have both an an inner like we, we're viewing the exterior of the situation we see the action but then we're brought into Quixote's headspace and we see the world the way he sees it also mm. and so, and so it, it's interesting mm -hmm. because that's just the paradigm that I've been thinking about a lot lately I mean, so like we, Dennis and SJ and I went on and on about Area X and how, you know, it, it's this whole metaphor of this thing that's that's out there, but then you realize it's really not out there. It's like in you. Like we want to think it's out there. And so there's the in and the out thing. Um, but what if the in and the out is, you know, two views of the same thing? There is no... Mm -hmm. And so, like uh, in Kripal's new book, he's he, you know he's saying so. We have the scientific worldview that's that's capturing light 
externally, but then what if it's mysticism when they talk about enlightenment that is experience that that same energy, the same light, but it's the interior experience of it. Right. Yeah. What lights up the dreams that we have. Yeah. <laughs> but so that's why this book is just so uh interesting to me because it does you have it's it's always it's a unified experience of two perspectives on on many levels yeah should should we talk about uh specifics in it like the like last time we were we were about to uh talk about our favorite parts in the well you know what we didn't talk about ever was and and it's just astounding it was the impert the impertinent gentleman oh the impertinent curiosity or whatever the, it is or maybe or... it's the overly curious something the impertinently curious yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, all the translations translated differently too so well somebody uh, who remembers that tale just lay out the plot a little bit for the listeners Oh, that's in part one, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We haven't uh, we haven't heard much from Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm mostly just listening. I'm sorry. I'm 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 pretty tired, but and I also just haven't thought much of of it since we last talked. So. Uh, I'm listening, but and I'll be in and out. But I, I, I don't know if I have anything to add immediately. Do you remember that tale, Lacey? No. Okay. Not specifically. So no. you had two friends, and the one friend marries a woman. Oh. Right? Yeah. Well, keep going, but I, yeah, I think so. And is that the one? Yeah. That was really confusing. That was well, confusing. He, he's like. <laughs> I think my, and so this speaks to that honor, the purity of the, your female. He's like, I think my, my woman is so pure that I'm going to get you, my best friend, to try and seduce her, right? And he's like, no, this is a horrible, horrible idea. <laughs> yes. this, we, it's just going to turn ugly for everyone. We're, let's not even think about this ever again. It's like, no, no, no. And, and so the, the overly curious gentleman just continues saying, no, you have to do it. You have to do it. You have to do it. And finally the friend gives in and says, all right, I'll try to seduce your wife. Right. And then eventually I think the friend is telling the wife, like, this is what's happening. I'm really sorry. I mean, at first the, the friends agreed to do it, but then he wasn't doing it. And then, you know, the, the curious gentleman is like, you got to do it. You got to do it. And then, Eventually, uh, who wants to? It say went it? on forever. It went on. <laughs> <laughs> but she, they, she fell for him, right? Yeah. She fell for the friend, and then they faked their their own death so they could be together. And then what happened to the? I don't even remember. But then she ended up becoming a nun. Oh, that's right. Like they, they didn't even end up together. They. She became a nun, and he moved somewhere else. I think. But did did the curious gentleman die or kill himself? What happened? Oh, oh my gosh! It feels <laughs> like it. This was like a lifetime ago that I listened to that part. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think he does die. I think the yeah, curious gentleman was, does it, die. It was almost like a Romeo and Juliet kind of ending to it. 
Yeah, with him um, hiding behind the curtains. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 Moral of the story is don't try that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad idea. <laughs> this is one of the parts of the book where it's like, the, it, it's again a, a really high quality lesson. It's like a didactic mm. thing about life, you know, and, and I, I, I do think this probably explains the popularity of this novel. I mean, one, one explanation is that you can read it and, and learn valuable lessons, practical lessons about what mm-hmm. attitudes you should carry and what actions you should take, you know, mm-hmm. right. it's, um, it's prof- I mean, yeah, I, 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 the moment in this that was most powerful for me is that the character and his name's Lothario, and that's how we get the adjective, uh, you know, don't be a Lothario, or I guess that would be a noun, but <laughs> was, was that the, the curious gentleman or the friend, which is Lothario? Which which one is it? That's the friend. The okay. friend. The friend is the Lothario. And so he's sitting for, you know, days and days. I'm, I don't forget how long. And, the, and he says he just sits in silence because the friend says, all right, I'm telling my wife I'm out of town and that you have to be there to watch out for her. And, and um, so he's, you know, for like a week or two or a month or however long, he's, he's just being a good friend. He's like, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to tell my friend I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to fucking do this. It's just insane, you know, and to watch uh, internal like uh, relationship to the situation change is what to me is like the most tragic part of the whole thing. Because then eventually he gets, he's broken down. And at some point he just, his lust kicks in, his desire, uh, I, you know, whatever you want to call it. And, and then he actively starts pursuing this woman. And she doesn't, it, it's not her uh, that initiates that. It's him. It's Lothario. And eventually he breaks her down. But I mean, that's the moment that I think is the most sad for me is this kind of, he gave in. He gave in. He couldn't. He couldn't keep up his defense, you know. And I think that's maybe like a divine lesson of some kind. I mean, we all are going to give into this at some point. Our lust, you know. How do you keep that at bay and act morally? And you know, um, maybe we're not all going to give into this at some point. Let me take that back. We all might be tempted. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but that was. I was like kind of riveted. And then when that happened, I was like, oh man. There, are, there aren't good people out there. Shit, Lothario, you, you know, you are our only hope. You know, fuck. So, anyhow, I, I love how he, uh, like Cervantes, makes fun of that in the second part by saying, uh, um, Sid Hammett decided to cut out all the digressions that occurred in the first part of the book because people were so bored and wanted stories about Don Quixote. <laughs> so it's it's it's, it's so uh, so funny. Like he, uh, Cervantes, like uh, is is continually cutting himself down throughout the second part as well. Well, I still don't know if he's saying that the the second part is not a true part. Like the the only real the only real Don Quixote happened in part one. Like it feels like he's he like you're saying he's cutting himself down, but cutting himself down, like even even the there's only one real part, and that's part one. 
Oh, really? Like, uh, yeah. Like there was no third Sally. Like, like the, <laughs> like, the whole thing didn't, the, the whole part, the whole second part didn't happen. No. That the, and then, so, so what was it? <laughs> <laughs> right, what was it? <laughs> A dream, you know. Impossible <laughs> The unbeatable foe to bear with unbearable sorrow to run where the brave dare not go to right the unrightable wrong to love pure and chaste from afar to try when your arms are too. How far to fight for the right without question or pause to be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause and I know And the world will be better for this That one man scorned and covered with scars Still stored his last ounce of courage The unreachable star.